Lou, thank you so much for sharing in that, and what a great message that happens to be. What a good day it's been, and Lord, and I'm just grateful that you are here on this day. You know, so many of us, we grow up, and we like when we hear something good said about our lives. We want to say something good about our family, and sometimes we, we hope our family gets proud of us, and that's a good thing. I heard of three boys that were talking and bragging about their dads, and one little boy, he said, my dad writes a few words on paper, he calls it a poem, and he gets paid $50 for that. Second boy said, well, my dad beat that. My dad writes a few words on paper, he calls it a song, and he gets paid $100 for that. Third boy says, ah, my dad's got you all beat. My dad's a preacher. He writes a few words on some paper, and it takes eight men to gather up all the money. <laughs> Sometimes you get to thinking that maybe in the position I enjoy getting to hold that God gave me, that it may be the man in the position, and you get to thinking that's pretty good. And then all of a sudden... Uh, you get to visit with your minister of music during the week, and uh, this week Joel was helping me, and we were talking about our invitation, and we've got it now streaming, and so it's now recorded, and you can go there, and Joel was, he meant to help, and he said, Bill, now that we're getting our service onto the internet, when it comes to the invitation time, don't sing. <laughs> don't sing. Well, yeah, I see your mic is still on. <laughs> and everybody hears it. Now, he didn't mean it that way. So, in other words, don't worry about whether I don't have a right regard for myself. If I ever don't have one... I've not only got this guy back here, I've got other staff people who help keep me in place, and I've got a wife that on Facebook tells people when I need a modium AD. <laughs> and if you have any pride in yourself after that, something is absolutely wrong with you. But you know, God made us. God wired us in a way that was actually very wise. And you know the Father created us in a brilliant way. But God made you individually so that it's actually hard for you to pat yourself on the back. Very hard. And it's also hard for you to kick yourself very hard. And God designed into our bodies those two aspects because God wants us to have a proper esteem of our own lives, but he wants us to have it in a relationship with him. And the problem is because of the sin nature that you and I have and because of this flesh that the flesh, understand this, even when Christ is in my life, I have two natures at operation right now. And those two natures in me 
And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, those two natures in you are at odds with one another. Your sin nature, your flesh nature, wants to be independent from God. Your spirit man, the spirit nature, always wants you to be under his control and his authority. And therefore, it is that flesh and it is that sin nature that causes us in our own flesh and in the world for us to want to build ourselves up above what God intends for us to do in a way that would be a false pride or as we might call ego, edging God out. There's nothing wrong with having a God-centered self-esteem. But when pride comes in and becomes a false pride that people want to build themselves up without understanding the perspective of their relationship with Jesus Christ, or when people take a look at themselves and want to kick themselves and put themselves down when they are created in the image of God, they're missing, they're missing God's best for their lives. Now, I want us to take our word and open ourselves to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is writing this to a tremendously gifted, strategically located, well-endowed church in Corinth that started well had tremendous potential, and then all of a sudden began to have division and divisiveness and pride seek into their lives. Not only pride in themselves, but pride in who they said they followed and they attached themselves to various leaders, whether it's Paul, Apollos, Peter, or as we saw a few weeks ago, even some said, well, I just followed Jesus and They were very proud of that. Well, Paul takes in chapter 4 as he moves along, and he gives them some principles about rightly regarding themselves. So if you open up in chapter 4, verse 1, the first thing that we're going to find this morning is to have a right regard for ourselves. You and I need to understand that we are accountable to God. To have a right regard of ourselves, we need to understand You and I are accountable to God. Verse 1 says, So then, first of all, Paul says, So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now, the word servant there, very interesting. Because in the New Testament, predominantly, when you read the translation servant, it is one of two words, either the word we get our word deacon, diakonos, or is the word doulos, which is the common household slave. But this word translated servant is also translated minister. It's a different Greek word. It's only used maybe two or three other times. It's made up of two different words, one meaning under and the second word meaning to row. It is a picture word that the Greeks and the Corinthian people in that day would have fully understood because in a Roman naval ship, they understood they didn't have 
young people, you know this. They didn't have big turbine engines and to move those ships along. How did they move them along? With oars. And so in the lower deck of the ship, uh, the Roman army would put the slaves that had been captured, and they would be forced to row those ships. And that's the picture word that Paul is using for servant. He says, I am a rower, an under rower. In other words, I know my position, and on the ship that God has given to us, I am a part of the rowing team. I am not the captain of my own ship. In other words, I know who the captain is, and the captain is not me. But on that ship, I have an assignment. My assignment as an under rower is to share the secret things of God. I've been entrusted with those. And what are those secret things? Well, we read in the book of Colossians that there is a mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, the secret things are the gospel of Jesus Christ, how you and I, sinful man, can receive a perfect Savior who died for our sin, rose again, invite him to come into our heart, and we receive the hope of glory to reside and dwell in us. Heaven is our home. And Paul says, I've been entrusted with this gospel. Now look at verse 2. Paul says, so what's required of me? As one entrusted with the gospel. Now, it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Faithful to do what God has given us the task to do of being together under rowers on the ship with an accountability to the captain who is telling us where and the direction the ship needs to go. Now then Paul goes to verse 3 and he talks about the fact that in my life, even as an under-rower, I know there are going to be people who are going to evaluate how I am rowing. And so Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Do you see where he's going? I am an under rower on the ship with an assignment of carrying the gospel. But the one that I'm really accountable to is not anybody else on earth. Ultimately, it is God himself. Now, in the position of the pastor, many of you have been in Baptist churches long enough to probably appreciate this about the position. Because I found this thing many, many years ago, and here is a picture of the perfect pastor for a Baptist church. He condemns sin, but he never steps on anybody's toes. He works from 8 in the morning to 10 at night, doing everything from preaching sermons to sweeping. 
He always stands ready to contribute to every other good cause, too. He helps panhandlers who drop by the church on their way to someone, somewhere. He's 29 years old, but he's been preaching for 40 years. He's tall on the short side. He's heavy set in a thin sort of way. And he's handsome. He has eyes, one brown and one blue, to fit the occasion. He wears his hair parted in the middle. The left side is dark and straight. The right side is brown and wavy. He has a burning desire to work with youth. And he spends all his time with senior adults. He smiles all the time. Because he has a keen sense of humor that finds him seriously dedicated to his work. He makes 15 calls a day on church members. He spends all of his time evangelizing non-members. And he's always in the study if he's needed. When I read that, I think, you know what? In there are the expectations of every person in the church in some way. How many of you know that in your life, you'll never meet everybody's expectation? Now, if you haven't learned that, teenagers, you've learned it early? Good. But the reality is we'll never meet everybody's expectation. Child of God, hear this. God has called you into his kingdom work. But ultimately, you're not accountable to me. Ultimately, you are accountable to one And that is you're accountable to him. And while we believe in the principles of mutual accountability, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 7, the Bible ends up saying, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You will ultimately give account to God. So if Paul says in verse 5, and he concludes this thought, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what is hidden in the darkness, and he's going to expose the motives of men's hearts. And at that time, each of us will receive his praise from God. I want one person in this world to be pleased, and ultimately, it is the Father. So the first thing that keeps a right perspective on ourselves is to know that you're going to be accountable to God. The second thing that Paul would say is if we're going to have a right regard for ourselves, we should be appreciative of God's gifts. Verse 6 and 7, listen to what he writes. Now, brothers, I've applied these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of saying, don't go beyond what is written. Then you'll not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? And what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not, if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? What he's saying is, Apollos and I are under rowers. The pastor, the evangelist, the Sunday school teacher, the deacon, we're under rowers. We're servants of the captain. And don't ever go beyond in your estimation of someone else 
or your estimation of yourself beyond what is written in Scripture, and there are boundaries. Now, let me give you three boundaries. Because when the Scripture talks about you and I as individuals, we find some marvelous things and one that really sets us to keep our perspective. First of all, you are uniquely designed by God. Created in God's image, you are uniquely designed by God. Every one of you have gifts and talents. There's no one in the entire world, six and a half billion people and young people, there's no one in this world just like you. Your fingerprint is unique. No one just like you in this entire world. Second, you are not only uniquely designed, but you are inherently dignified. You are created in God's image. You are not only you're above animals in this world, but you are in God's eyes above the angels in heaven in his perspective. You are uniquely and inherently dignified. But let me give you a third thing. The Bible says you are also totally depraved. You are a sinner, separated from God because of your sin. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what I am to remember is that in my life and in your life, you and I are not the center of existence. There are some people in their pride that think they can change the light bulb without moving because the world revolves around their lives. The fact is, is we're not the center of our existence. And you and I are not the captain of our own ship. You and I are not worthy of worship. And when people get mixed up, they elevate themselves or others too high, and they take a false pride. That's what Paul was saying. They take pride in another. And so Paul challenges them in verse 7. What makes you different? All of you. You're all uniquely designed. You all are inherently dignified. And you all are totally depraved along with me. We're not different from one another. What do you have that you didn't receive? I I heard a young man years ago, back in Depression days, became very wealthy. And one day he got interviewed and he was asked, how did you make all this wealth during the Depression? And the young man said, you know what? I had just a little bit that I found in my pocket about a nickel and I found I could buy an apple for a nickel from one place, and I could sell that apple for 10 cents. Obviously, that'd probably be high for the Depression, wouldn't it? And he said, I took that 10 cents, and I went and bought two apples, and I went over here and sold them for four, 40 cents. And the guy said, you mean you kept on doing that until you got wealthy? He said, no. Then I had an uncle that died I didn't know about, and he left me $5 million. In the final analysis, I don't know, you may not inherit anything monetarily from family, from a rich uncle that you didn't know. But you know what? You've all been given, every one of us has been given blessings 
from God. You've all been given a mind to think with. You've all been given gifts and talents to use. You have all been given free will to be able to take that mind and those talents and then to go out. And in the world in which God created, to go out and you'll find that you have been blessed beyond measure. Deuteronomy chapter 8, many years ago, Moses said to the children of Israel, You may say to yourself, My power and my strength and my hands have produced this wealth for me. But he said to them, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so he confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers, as it is today. Listen, child of God, teenagers, try to get this. Don't ever waste your time trying to compare yourself to someone else, whether they have more or whether they have less. Don't make a comparison with anyone else. Simply let your comparison be to be thankful for what God has given you. You came into this world with how much? Nothing. And when you leave this world, how much are you taking? Nothing. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, the Bible says, they forbid people to marry and told them to abstain from foods, but they need to understand God created everything. And that's to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes, Timothy and tells him this, command those who are rich in this present world, and if you don't think you're rich in this world, I would invite you to take a trip to Somalia today or Ethiopia, and you'll come back with a different perspective. Command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides everything for us for our enjoyment. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they lay up for themselves treasures in heaven as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. So we need to be appreciative of the things we have. And the final thing Paul would say is, if I'm going to rightly regard ourselves, we must be aware of the example we set. Look at verse 8. Paul ends up starting here with using real irony. Now, you can't understand this passage if you don't hear it, that Paul is using sanctified sarcasm to a group of people that think they are really, really high and mighty and really have forgotten where all their blessings come from. And so Paul is being ironic and sarcastic toward them. And he says, Already, you have all you want. Already, you have become rich. Why, you have become kings. And, and that without us. You know, I wish you really had become kings, so we might be kings with you. He's not talking about being children of the king. He's talking about them thinking of themselves as being rulers in this world, and being really, really hot stuff. And then Paul goes on in verse 9, he starts laying it out. 
And he says, for it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We're fools for Christ, but you're wise in Christ, obviously. We're weak. You obviously are strong. You are honored. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. And when we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. And I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Imitate me. The word we get our word is mimic. Mimic me. Do you know you're somebody's example? Yes, you are. You're somebody's example. I am very proud in a good sense, and I use this in a good sense. I'm proud of some of our teenagers here who end up being coaches for upward basketball. Boys that are seniors in our class, maybe some juniors and below, that are coaching fourth and fifth grade and sixth grade kids. And those kids just look up to you guys, and they want to be just like you. But these young people, they look at somebody else that's a little older, and they say, I want to be like that person. You know, you've got to be very careful about the kind of example you said. Let me ask you, child of God, if somebody were to watch you and walk after you for 24 hours, and I were to say to them, follow that person, watch what they do, listen to what they say. Here's a little special microphone. You can even listen in on their thoughts throughout the day. What kind of example? Are you giving for Jesus Christ? Remember the Father saying to us, we're under rowers, we have an assignment. Remember the word that we're accountable and we need to be appreciative. Well, you and I, if I'm going to have a proper esteem of myself, I need to also be aware that someone else is watching Paul talks about a procession, that I'm the slave. What he was describing was a Roman general coming back after a great victory, and Rome did this regularly. Whenever the general in the army would come back to Rome after a campaign, and they'd be victorious, they would bring the spoils of war back with them to Rome. The army would go in parade and procession, and then behind the conquering general would be the conquered people who were coming now and put into slavery. The general would be in his chariot. But what the Roman army would do is they would assign a slave to stand in the chariot with the general. And as the chariot would make its way through the streets of Rome and the adoring crowds were calling out the general's name for the victorious campaign that he had just led. This slave would be whispering in his ear either one of two things. He would say, 
memento mori. That means remember you are mortal. Or he would whisper the words, all glory is fleeting. And what they were doing was reminding themselves, you are not God. And you are in a position that may not last and it will not last forever. Have a right regard for yourself. Thank God for his gifts for you. Be grateful that you get an opportunity to use those gifts for the duration of while you're here. And one day, child of God, then you and I will stand before God to give an account. I want to be sure that as best we can do, under him, we give and account well. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I look around in this congregation, and I don't see one person that you have not gifted uniquely in a special way. Every person here has been placed in a position where they have special talents and abilities. And Father, we understand then that God, you call us into your service. And Heavenly Father, we take that seriously today. I also know that this day, that there are some here that have never settled their relationship with you by inviting Jesus into their heart. Lord, I pray today would be the day that that issue is settled for eternity. Lord, also there's others that you're calling to become a part of this family of faith to help this church family be all that you intend her to be and you're calling people right now. Lord, some of us need to do some business and get ourselves right again with you because we've gone through the motions and we've not taken seriously our accountability. Lord, I pray that right now we'll do business with you in that way. Lord, it's in Jesus' name that we offer this invitation. And I pray you'll be pleased with our responses in Jesus' name. Would you stand very quietly to your feet? The invitation begins to be sung. Someone maybe in the balcony or here on the floor, God's calling you to come right now. Our staff will be here to meet you. We want to welcome you, to pray with you. As we sing, we welcome sing you to come. In the prayer. to what the Spirit of God is saying to your heart.
he speaks to you. We welcome you to come right now and let us rejoice. God invited you, calling you, we welcome you today. 